Em, I gotta say, not to brag, but I think we have the coolest jobs ever because we get to sit here every week and talk about all things magical and mystical. First of all, we could not have done this job a few decades ago. There's that trend where it's like, try telling a pilgrim what life is like today. (laughs) Oh no. I couldn't imagine having to tell somebody that we get to talk about all the spooky things, all of the occult, all the spiritual stuff. And by the way, not get burnt at the stake for it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's hard to imagine, like you said, that it wasn't that long ago, it wasn't even Pilgrim era, but more recently, when information about spiritualism was pretty hard to come by. We're lucky we live when we do. Oh, a thousand percent. Well, today we're learning about a woman who did her part to bring magic to the masses. And this is before the internet, before podcasts, believe it or not, there was such a world. Whoa. And this was at a time when gatekeepers abound, even more so than today, I think. We can all imagine a lot of times those, especially at that time, were men. Mm-hmm. And this woman, she did it with flair. How could she not with the name Dion Fortune? <gasps> you know, I love when someone does something with flair. And she could have done it all without having been dramatic about it. But she went, no, no, I know another way to get around this. <laughs> Why do it plain and simple when mm-hmm. you can do it with flair? That's the truth. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Christine Schiefer. And I'm M. Schultz. And every week we'll explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. Today we're talking about the classic Dion Fortune and all of the wonderful spiritual gifts she brought to the table. Very, very excited. I feel like with the name Dion Fortune, I know I'm in for a good story this week. Absolutely. (laughs) I know something wild's about to happen. I'm here for it. Well, let's crack into it. I have one question for you. I love when these talking points are included in the outlines because it's things that I should have thought to ask you before but have not. And what I want to know about you, Em, is have you ever had your aura read? First of all, I also love the talking prompts because all of a sudden I feel like we're new friends again. Yeah, it's like a 20 questions like icebreaker game, but for people who talk to each other every single day. It's part of the adventure, I guess. (laughs) But have I had my aura read? No, I've had people like approach me and like (gasps) claim to be able to read auras and they're like they say one person said my aura was orange i have no idea what that means someone else said my aura was blue and i don't know if they even change or if they stay and two different people they can change yes they can change okay well i really don't know how accurate they were it really was just like random people who it felt a little braggy so i don't know how real it was But it's never been professionally read to me, no. How about you? May I ask where that was? Like, I'm just so intrigued. It was like in college. I feel like it was like someone who thought they developed a superpower overnight. And they were like, now I can read auras. I was like, oh, okay. It really sounds like a pickup line. Like, what's your sign? Oh, I wish I knew that then. I maybe would have responded differently. I was going to say, you might have been getting hit on, but I guess that's besides the point. Good to know. I took a aura reading class once. How? Of course I did. But I didn't get to have my aura read but we got to practice on people what's like the first thing they teach you in how to read someone's aura so i think it's to trust your mind's eye or your eye so to speak because 
they have you kind of soften your gaze as you're looking at someone and sort of see the kind of fuzzy outline that Mm -hmm. people have and kind of just try and develop the ability to see what color that is and then to kind of trust your gut and go with it. And I mean, it was a very cool experience, but it was only like a 60 minute class, something like that. So like a quick master class. Yeah, it was a very quick like intro to auras. And so I don't really remember that much. It was very long ago, but I would like to ask if anyone knows more about that. I'd love to know what kind of aura I have. Orange, blue, I don't know. I don't know what it means, but it sounds kind of cool. Based on your gut, even though you don't know what the colors mean, based on your gut, do you have a feeling what your aura is today? What mine is, I mean, I kind of want to lean toward like orange, but I don't know. I feel like I just immediately want to lean always into my favorite colors. I'm just like, oh, well, purple. (laughs) (laughs) What is your your favorite color I know is glow in the dark. So that would be pretty damn cool. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think once you're a ghost, your whole aura is glow in the dark for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that would fit you and you alone. Yeah. Can you imagine if someone had a tie-dye aura? That's like... Now that. (laughs) (laughs) It's the master aura. (laughs) Well, speaking of kind of colors and how they align with our bodies, do you know much about chakras at all? I don't know any more than like the average uneducated person. (laughs) I know the picture of someone sitting crisscross applesauce and then Uh they've got like a line of different Uh colored spots in their body that if all of them are meditated on well or if you treat them well in some way in your chakras align if you're in a good spiritual place then you like in my mind you you transcend or you are a, the highest version of yourself you're maybe just spiritually healthy maybe is sure okay yeah i think the goal is definitely to have them aligned and healthy and but you know you say more than the average uneducated person but i will say you you and i both lived in la for a long time not a long <laughs> sure. time but at least half a decade and i feel like that does automatically give us more insight into chakras than the average yeah, person I, in the world. <laughs> I guess I meant I don't know more than the average uneducated, like, granola L.A. hipster. Exactly. Yeah. You and I are probably on the same page with that. But as far as where auras and chakras and these concepts actually originate from, they come from Eastern religions like Hinduism and Tantric Buddhism. While Western occultists adopted them in the late 1800s, Dion Fortune's work made them even more popular with Western spiritualists. So we can thank her for our granola... California understanding of chakras. (laughs) (laughs) So here's my next talking point in the Mm -hmm. get to know M exercise that I do every time we record rituals. And that is, have you ever heard about the Glastonbury Music Festival? Heard of it? Yes. But again, I don't know much about it. It's like circus themed or something. It's supposed to be like a really huge festivity. Man, I just feel so out of the loop. Like, usually I feel uneducated based on just historical literature we talk about, but I don't think I knew anything about the Glastonbury Music Festival. And then, of course, I went into a little deep, not a deep dive, but, you know, a little rabbit hole looking into it. And I was like, oh, my God, this thing is huge. It's supposed to be like a fair, like the craziest music festival out there. Insane. I mean, they had Paul McCartney, Billie Eilish. I'm not even going to start listing them because it was like last year's lineup was just like long and long insert and long every and A-lister insert here. every person you can think of. It was just so wild. But so I've heard of Glastonbury before as a place, but I really didn't know much about it. Do you know anything about Glastonbury like in any other context besides the music festival? Um, I'm going to say no, but I'm sure I'm making myself look very foolish. No, I don't. I don't think I know. 
I guess we'll both be foolish together because I only know of Glastonbury, Connecticut, and that's about oh. as far as my <laughs> knowledge. And I imagine it was probably named after the real one, the original one. <laughs> as most things in this country are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And also no cool music festival to speak of. So I'm fully out of the loop. So the legend of the Holy Grail is set here in Glastonbury. It's actually thought to be where King Arthur is buried. So there are a lot of cool kind of mythical or a lot of lore that comes from Glastonbury. It's one of the settings, actually, for Dion Fortune's rise to prominence. Oh, She kind of fun. fits into the fold. Okay. Hey, I'll take it. So let's get into Dion Fortune's background. She was born Violet Mary Firth in 1890 in North Wales. And her mother was a Christian science healer, and her father hmm. was a lawyer. Oh, wow. Very different people. Okay. <laughs> like, those dinner conversations must have never gotten boring. Because... Christine, it's literally you and your husband. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> to be fair, to yes. That, okay, fair. <laughs> I will argue that unlike many Christian science practitioners, I do believe in modern medicine. So Okay. Fair. I do appreciate and accept the help of modern medicine, let's put it that way, which I know can be kind of an iffy subject in the world of Christian scientists. But the kind of Christian scientist belief is that you can achieve healing through a childlike faith in God and through prayer. So okay. as much as the opposing careers match Blaze's and my kind of same dynamic, that's about as far as it goes, because I'm sure he doesn't know much about the law, and I certainly don't know much about God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, you know what? Sure. I feel like we could delve into the fact that you definitely know way too much about God from your upbringing, but it's 100% you have rejected quite a lot of it. I'm getting a little too defensive about this. You're like, I know nothing. And it's like, I... we <laughs> don't believe you. But okay. <laughs> Just listen to the episode on the sacraments and you may not believe me ever again. <laughs> Oh, boy. So Violet's mother, who was the Christian scientist practitioner and healer, believed Violet herself was a changeling. Ooh, no pressure, Violet. Okay. I know. <laughs> wow. Do you know much about changelings? I've actually wanted to cover changelings for a while now on And That's What We Drink, but oh. I know there's a lot of history there. I want to make sure I get it right because I think it's actually a pretty sacred creature in some spaces. I think it, especially in like Irish folklore, I think it is, that it's... Are you about to tell me that I'm totally wrong? What? No, but it's not exactly a creature. It's more that... They're fairies, right? The theory or the belief was that fairies had switched the child out at birth and given mm. back to the parents a like a duplicate, like not the original child. That's why I haven't covered it yet, because I know that there's some controversy about it because fairies are so sacred that it's... yes. It makes them look bad. There's a whole story to it, I think. Interesting. Well, you know, I shouldn't have even said anything at all because two podcast shows, Mythical Monsters and Tales, have done their own episodes about changelings. So I don't even know why I'm trying to, like, go on a rant explaining what they are, what they are not, because I have no prior knowledge to do so. But Well, I'll probably use both of those episodes for my own research okay, on that's drink, so. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good. Let's listen to those before we go into it too far. But sure. The idea is they're malevolent fairies who take the place of kidnapped human children, if you do believe this. And so it's, I imagine, not a good place to be if you're, I think we can probably all agree, not a good place to be if your parents think you are a changeling because it means you're not the real child or you're Ugh. not 
the original one or you've been somehow replaced. I mean, think of the crisis you'd have with yourself all the time of I'm not good enough. I'm wrong. I'm not meant to be here. They mourn someone that isn't me. Exactly. I feel like there must be a lot of psychological pressure at the very least being in that position. So when Violet was four, whether or not this had anything to do with it, she began having visions of a former life. Oh. Which is also the stage that I can't wait for with my child. I'm just waiting for her to tell me, you know, I know what kind of airplane that is. Or my dad used to be a fireman. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You're really good at that. Thank you. That's why I'm I'm going to wait for her to tell me because clearly I'm not I'm not in the right headspace. But she started having visions of what seemed to be a former life. And she actually believed she had been a priestess in an ancient civilization called Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. FYI, there is little evidence that such a place ever existed. But, you know, there are definitely beliefs and speculations. If you're looking for a quite literal Atlantis, there is an Atlantis that does exist, but it is actually a massive resort in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. My so, mother you know. has a timeshare there, of course. So <laughs> I knew I knew <laughs> Linda would somehow have some connection to the real life Atlantis. You say Atlantis, Bahamas, my mom will find a way to insert herself into that conversation. So love it. Love that for her. Mm-hmm. Well, when she was 20, Violet went to college in England to study horticulture, but unfortunately, this experience did not go well for her. She claimed she was verbally abused by the warden, which led to a nervous breakdown that took her three years to recover from. Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Violet then started training to be a psychoanalyst at an innovative clinic in London. And at this clinic, they were experimenting with new ways to treat soldiers who returned from World War I with PTSD which I believe at the time was known as shell shock. Mm -hmm. And so this was something they were experimenting with, which I think is pretty cool. That was pretty early days for studying PTSD. Yeah. It was during that time that she claimed to have had her first experience with thought transference, a.k.a. mind reading. Hmm. Well, interesting. Yeah. Thought transference. Was that because of the experiments she was doing with the soldiers? Well, no, she said it was actually during a theosophical meditation class. Oh, okay. So I assume she was in some sort of maybe meditative state when she realized she could read minds. Oh, okay. Pretty cool. And we did touch on it briefly in our astral projection episode. Theosophy claims that we have an eternal self that exists on a high mental plane but can travel to different planes using different bodies. So this kind of idea of our self... (laughs) leaving our body and going elsewhere. Right, right, right. So Violet started experimenting with thought transference techniques on her patients and came to believe it was a much more efficient way to get at the root of their issues. And I'm intrigued by this. I know we love to say it, but I think it's probably kind of a slippery slope to say (laughs) I can heal people's PTSD with mind reading. It seems like a noble endeavor, I guess, but it does. And also, I wonder, I mean, it does feel like one of those things where people can gradually slip out of reality, where if the only way to help with PTSD is through mental work, and this is a different type of mental work, I could see how someone could fall into that realm of, oh, this is different, but also kind of the same and is rude yeah. somewhere in reality. That's a great point, um, that they're kind of not concrete sciences in the way that like physics or chemistry especially are. Especially then, especially back then. Especially then. Exactly. So, yeah, it seems a little iffy to me, especially looking at it now. 
But, you know, this is what she believed would be helpful, and she believed it was much more efficient to get at the root of her patient's issues. And so she left the clinic without getting any formal qualifications. Okay. And by the time she left the clinic, World War I was underway, and Violet helped out the effort by joining the Women's Land Army. Hmm. Cool. So the Women's Land Army put her to work alone in a research lab where she started having astral visions. <laughs> Can you imagine having a whole research lab to yourself and you just start having visions and people okay. have to, like, what are you doing in that lab? What's going on? Also, you're not in the lab because you're having an astral vision and you're just <laughs> <Right>. leaving. <laughs> Can you imagine if you're in the middle of a very serious experiment I and know. then you just check out? <laughs> just like, bye, I'm going to Atlantis in the Bahamas. <laughs> You can stay here and do whatever the heck you're doing. I feel like you're just leaving your your body there, you know? Yeah. Seems like a dangerous... It's like the hall monitor. It's like, I guess they're there in case of an emergency, but no, it won't be able to respond. I feel like it's like the Ferris Bueller, like, putting somebody under the covers. Like, well, there's somebody there. They're not really doing anything useful or paying attention to the surroundings. I just hope she never, like, woke up from her visions and, like, the whole place was on fire. In, like, the like... midst of some... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some really important experiment. I mean, it seems like quite a place to have an astral vision, but I guess she never... Multiple times. Multiple times. And at this point, she was trying to get to the bottom of this, as I can understand. And so Violet went to the library of the Theosophical Society to see if she could find an explanation for her visions. Okay. Something she read caught her attention. So theosophy teaches that there are ascended masters who are at the highest level of spiritual hierarchy. For example, people like Jesus and Buddha who have just reached that pinnacle of understanding. Mm -hmm. And that experiencing a connection or some sort of contact with a master can be a life-changing experience. Okay. So Violet became obsessed with trying to contact the masters. And uh, wouldn't you know it, she's pretty talented because it took her only 10 days for her to have a dream that she <laughs> met two of the masters on a plateau of the Himalayas. What, like it's hard? Like, yeah, I know. It makes me feel like okay. an idiot. I'm like, I've been practicing lucid dreaming for years and I uh, never met anyone on a plateau anywhere. Well, it sounds like if she's just accidentally like blinking into astral visions, you know, how hard could it be to meet Jesus yeah. in a week and a half? <laughs> she's, she, she's like predisposed to being able to <laughs> succeed. And I I want to be clear here. I'm not laughing at her. I'm just like in awe of how quickly she seems to just be able to pick up these things that so many of us wish we could master. Have strived for centuries yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. I Like, if she were around today, in 10 days, we could have figured out if Christianity was worth the fuss. Oh, yeah. She could have just, like, checked, Or check, Buddhism check. or anything. Yeah. She could have talked to any of them been like, get JC on the horn. We got to ask him a couple questions, you know? <laughs> Give it a week. She'll be back with some answers. Yeah. <laughs> so during this time, after meeting the masters on a plateau of the Himalayas, she also had her visions again. These visions of Atlantis from her childhood began to return to her, which is pretty interesting. Okay. It's already been a wild ride, but coming up, how Violet first became known by the much cooler sounding name Dion Fortune, setting the stage for her career in magic. Mm, the flair I've been looking for this whole time. You promised me flair. <laughs> I am getting my flair now. <laughs> In a world of deep fake technology, fake news, and revisionist history, how do we know the difference between what's official and what's just fishy? 
That's where we come in. Hi, it's Molly and Carter from the Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, we examine the most controversial events in history, because maybe there's so much more to the truth than we've been led to believe. From the mysteries of outer space to the secrets, lies, and possible cover-ups occurring right under our noses, we explore every angle in search of the actual truth. We're not skeptics or theorists. We're curious, rigorous, and in the end, we let you decide. Catch new episodes of Conspiracy Theories each week. Follow and listen for free only on Spotify. As World War I came to an end, Violet Firth met her first mentor, Dr. Theodore Moriarty, a Freemason, magician, and occultist who had a strong interest in psychology and healing. Wow, they were very kismet. (laughs) Yes, I was going to say, really meant for each other, and even more so because Moriarty believed that you could treat all illnesses, whether physical or mental, by delving into the patient's previous lives. Oh my God. And wouldn't you know it, he himself remembered previous lives as a priest in Atlantis. That's almost a little too on the nose. I wonder if he had done some recon on her and been like, (laughs) I know what she needs to hear. You know, it makes me wonder, too, though. I mean, we've talked about how there's a belief that souls kind of reincarnate with one another Mm -hmm. in sort of cycles and have different relationships throughout different lives. So it makes you wonder, maybe they did know each other in the past and had a different relationship and then found each other again. I love that. Or maybe he did recon. I don't know. Could be either one. Realistically, it was probably recon, but I'd like to imagine it's a fanciful world where they're from the same soul bubble and just re-met each other in the social circle. Okay, I'm going to go with the cool bubble version and you can go with the haters. Okay, (laughs) sure. Since we always have to... Butt heads, I guess, and not just like totally <laughs> fall into delusion with each other. <laughs> Moriarty trained Violet in the Western mystery tradition, which is kind of another term for esotericism. Scholars use the term to describe a wide range of ideas and movements that were becoming popular in the West, distinguishing it from Eastern spirituality, which was growing in popularity. Mm-hmm. For example, Moriarty believed in astrology, read auras, practiced astral projection, and could apparently make objects appear by magic, which This is kind of where I am like, I got to see it to believe that. I'm not super sure about that part. But if it's real, why aren't people like this just floating around today? I'd love to bump into one of these people. Yeah. I mean, make objects appear. I mean, the power. Sounds great. She can talk to Jesus. He can whip up some nachos. Make lunch sit on your belly in five seconds. Of course, we both go to food immediately. (laughs) Yep. We're back on the same page. (laughs) We both know you'd find a way to sink your little claws into him the second you found out that he could just like make your wine glass keep refilling. Just keep filling. I love it. But guess who else can do that? Mr. JC himself. So you know what? (laughs) Right. Well, he's made of wine or something. (laughs) We've got multiple options. So quick side note, in 1926, Violet actually wrote a book called The Secrets of Dr. Taverner about Moriarty. And she obviously changed his name, but she insisted that the fantastical stories were not just true, but actually toned down. (laughs) Like, you're too powerful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no one's going to believe it if I tell what actually happened, so we got to tone it down. In 1919, Violet joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, a secret society dedicated to the occult and to metaphysical exploration. And 
This order combines several ancient philosophies, including Hermeticism, the Jewish Kabbalah, Christian mysticism, and Rosicrucian magic. And I imagine all of you know all of that information already because you have listened to every single episode (laughs) of Rituals. If not, go back and check out our past episodes because we have talked extensively about all of the above. I was going to say, that was such a complex and educated sounding sentence. And I think for the first time in my life, I knew every word you said. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Doesn't it feel good? <laughs> it feels good to know that I can finally keep up on this kind of stuff. Remember when all those episodes came out and you were like, have you ever heard of this? And I had to go, no. But now yeah. I can say yes to all of them. <laughs> Actually, I have. Thank you very much for asking. <laughs> During her time in the Golden Dawn, Violet had a really great mentor named Maya Tranchell Hayes. Maya was very skilled in ritual magic and trained Violet in trance mediumship. So Hmm. pretty cool because she has these mentors who are kind of teaching her these very big skills, like next level. It's just amazing how many people she's running into that can just guide her to learn more magic and more magic and more skills. She's running in the right circles. I mean, she's in the Golden Dawn. I imagine if you're Entering an order like that, that is the place to network to find the right people. (laughs) I think so, yeah. Yeah. This is also when Violet acquired her pen name, Dion Fortune. Mm, There's glitter falling. Glitz and glam and fame. Glitz and and glam and lights. Camera action. Sparkle, spangle. We love it all. (laughs) So the name Dion Fortune came from her magical motto within the Golden Dawn Temple, which is a nickname you get when you're initiated into a secret society. Mm. Already I'm feeling jealous, but I'll move on. Violet's magical motto was Deo non fortuna, which means by God, not by luck. It was then adapted to become Dion Fortune. Mm. So we'll talk about Violet now as Dion moving forward. Sure. Dion also worked on her trance medium skills with an archaeologist and psychic researcher in Glastonbury named Frederick Bly Bond. Okay. While working on excavating the ruins of Glastonbury Abbey, Bond claimed that he and a clairvoyant were able to contact dead monks and other deceased figures using automatic writing and that they used this information to decide where to excavate, which is so cool. Very cool, but also feels risky. Very risky. You got to really trust that you are not just making this stuff up out of your head. Because if you're digging on ancient sites, it doesn't seem like you have much room. Yeah. Getting really expensive grants to like go through with this. Like everyone has to be on board or you're telling nobody that this is your method of figuring it out. You just have a clipboard and you're like, hang on. (laughs) Just going to do some automatic writing. Figure out where to move the excavator. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really hear about people like archaeologists being also led by the spirits of dead monks like that's Mm -hmm. just such a strange like dichotomy i mean it's interesting but Mm -hmm. i wonder how well that worked for him (laughs) who's to say (laughs) i guess the people giving the research grant maybe oh yeah they definitely have the say (laughs) while in glastonbury dion also met up with a man named charles thomas loveday who would become a lifelong friend of hers and supporter of hers From everything we read, it sounds like Maya, her transmedia mentor, Frederick, the psychic archaeologist, and Loveday, her new BFF, became Dion's kind of spiritual squad. I love that. How cool is that? I would love a spiritual squad. I guess you're my spiritual squad. Hey! (laughs) Uh, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an occult expert, but I will join as your... I will join. 
Okay. Well, no great. So asked. it sounds like this is off to a really solid start. Yeah, sounds like we're <laughs> okay. going to make waves. Not really. <laughs> During her sessions as a medium, Dion claimed to have made contact with a discarnate group who called themselves the Company of Avalon. And mm. side note, discarnate meaning not having a physical body. Oh, okay. So spirits. So exactly. A group of spirits. Okay. Yeah. Dion understood Glastonbury to be Avalon. So this Avalon they spoke of, she understood that to be the current day or modern day Glastonbury. Okay. Which was a former colony of Atlantis. And okay. just one more side note, I'm talking the Atlantis that we know under the sea, not the one where Linda has a timeshare in the Bahamas. Okay. Okay. Got it. But it could also sink <laughs> into the sea and then both you would know be what? similar. I shouldn't use that to differentiate them. Maybe I'll say like the mythical ancient land of Atlantis. I gotcha. I gotcha. Versus the current timeshare. Mm -hmm. So for this reason, Dion considered Glastonbury the most holy place on Earth. In 1923, Dion began to make contact with the masters or what are also known as inner plane adepts in occult circles. Okay. So let's recall our astral projection episode where we discussed the different planes of consciousness. One might loosely think of masters or inner plane adepts as spirit guides. Dion would lie down, surrounded by her friends, and go into a trance, traveling to an inner plane where she would then make contact. And Loveday, her BFF, would record all these communications. Took the minutes. Yeah, <laughs> he had the clipboard that day. Was yep. the secretary, yeah. <laughs> Dion claims the masters would go on to guide her in everything that followed throughout the rest of her life. She even published books based on the channeled messages, which is pretty cool. In 1925, following the instructions of her inner contacts, Dion and her friends joined a small offshoot group of the Theosophical Society. Hmm. Dion soon became president, but she had some issues with some of these society's senior leadership, and she also felt her other group, the Golden Dawn, was becoming obsolete. So she said, Eh, screw it. I'm founding my own group, and it is called the Community of the Inner Light. Oh, okay. I know. And the Community of the Inner Light later became the Fraternity of the Inner Light. Boys were welcome. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, yes. With Loveday's help, Dion had already acquired real estate in Glastonbury and London that would serve as a hub for her new society. And in 1927, Dion married Thomas Penry Evans, a medical doctor who was interested in esoteric healing. But the two sides of this coin, the spiritual healing side and the real science medical side, seemed to be too much of a conflict, and the couple eventually went their separate ways. Meanwhile, Dion's new society flourished with Loveday, her friend, playing an important leadership and financier role. And yes, there are speculations that perhaps there was a little more romance in the air than we actually know about. But, mm. you know, it's likely they were just colleagues, but we can dream. We know I love the drama. I know. I'll make anything into a romantic situation just for my own dazzle of it all. Yeah, yeah. So sure, good to know. Good to know yeah. it was an option on the table. It's a theory, but nothing is proven about that. It's more likely they were just two colleagues who were passionate about magic and not necessarily one another, but you never know. You never know. History will call them best friends, as it currently is. So. Exactly. There was also a big age difference between the two of them, with Loveday being much older than Dion, but, you know, that's 
It's never stopped. Well, it stopped some people, but it's not stopped everyone. It's not stopped everyone. The fraternity published a magazine called The Inner Light, and Dion also wrote several esoteric novels, which made occult themes accessible even for those who didn't practice, which I think is pretty cool. Then came World War II, and the group was unfortunately forced out of their headquarters temporarily because of a bombing. Ooh, that's a big reason to leave. Yeah. You know, she'd already experienced... World War One in a very oh, real yeah. way. So, yeah, it must just have been not again. Just like uh, time to roll out. Yeah, exactly. So Dion actually was able to keep things going by sending out weekly letters and eventually paper rationing put a stop to their magazine and book publications and letters went out monthly instead of weekly. Okay. On January 8th, 1946, Fortune died of leukemia in London at the young age of 56, Hmm. unfortunately. So that's too bad. Yeah, very sad. We may not have known her name before today, but spiritualism might not be what it is now if not for the wonderful Dion Fortune. And I will explain coming up. I feel like her life at this point has not been boring, so I imagine her influence was not boring either. So it's a great way to put it. Looking forward to seeing how she used her power for maybe the weird good. Dion Fortune was an important figure in the occult world for a few reasons. She worked to lift the veil on a lot of the closely guarded secrets of esoteric groups, which I think is just a really cool and noble endeavor. For example, she allowed members of the public to watch as her group performed certain rites at a converted church. So basically taking the gatekeeping out of the esoteric world, which you see it all the time on TikTok, like stop gatekeeping XYZ. I think it's a noble pursuit to say, you know what, this isn't just for like the elite. Let's let everybody check it out. Especially if she really is passionate about it and wants people to understand her side of it or where she's coming from or maybe to recruit new people. It's like, oh, well, let's make it accessible to everybody. Exactly. And her being a woman, too, at this time, you know, Mm -hmm. probably being surrounded by mostly men in these kind of secret orders. That could have been part of the reason why she wanted to make sure other people who normally wouldn't have access to these worlds were able to learn more about it. So I thought that was a pretty cool legacy she left. So cool. She hosted several public discussions of occultism in literature, bringing in esteemed researchers and folks from London's literary scene. Um, She was a feminist, of course, which is just kick-ass. She worked to bring esotericism to women and the middle classes, not just the elite men who were usually in these circles. (gasps) Love that. I know. And her occult novels influenced the development of goddess worship and feminist spirituality, which is (gasps) just so kick-ass. And, you know, I have several books on feminist spirituality and that whole world. And I just feel like, wow, thank you for making that happen, making that possible. Cool. Oh, my gosh. Well, OK. So I'm glad I, I was on par then earlier. We're like, OK, she uses her powers for good. Great. <laughs> for weird good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. For weird good. Remember those weekly letters she sent out in the heat of World War Two? Mm-hmm. They essentially served as material for a widespread esoteric meditation group. <gasps> and like, I just think that's very cool because it's hard enough nowadays to get anything to spread with the use of the, the World Wide Web. Yeah. <laughs> But the fact that her physical papers were able to create this kind of community, I think that's pretty impressive. Wow. So she had like the very first 101 packet. 
101 packet. Sorry, I'm packet of okay. what? Oh, <laughs> yeah. of, of teaching people like like being there and like giving them like help on how to do meditation and stuff. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. I was like, I thought you meant on, I don't know. I just lost my. Your brain did the tab thing I was talking about earlier. The blank tab. The <laughs> cursor was just like blinking. I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> In 1997, a compilation of Dion's articles from Inner Light magazine was published as a book called An Introduction to Ritual Magic. <gasps> so wait, it really was a 101 manual. It's a 101 intro to ritual magic. Very cool. How cool is that? The book included up-to-date commentaries and recent examples of contact with the masters as experienced by people trained in her tradition. Wow. Another book called Circuit of Force came out in 1998, and this was made up of Dion's articles about the aura, originally published in 1939 and 1940. Fortune described the aura as a manifestation of energies in the etheric body, the physical body's magnetic field. She believed higher forces flow through this field through chakras, or centers of exchange of energies. And as for the Society of the Inner Light, which was where these works actually came from, her original writings— the society actually still exists today, believe it or not. Fun. Okay, cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, it's a registered religious charity within the Western esoteric tradition. And according to its website, the Society of the Inner Light's prime purpose is to maintain and expand the bridge that exists between outer life in the world and spiritual forces upon the inner planes. <laughs> so bad. NBD. <laughs> you know, I love a society that I could join about spooky stuff. Well, you can actually um, become a member. And this is not me pitching a timeshare as much as someone <laughs> I imagined did to Linda. It sounds like there's maybe a catch, but no, truly, you can become a member. <laughs> All you have to do is take a course, which includes studying Dion's books, developing a meditation practice, and this part maybe you're not going to love, submitting papers every two weeks. And oh, my God. <laughs> passing <laughs> an interview. And I think you and I are on board with everything except writing the papers we did grad school we're done with it i don't think we ever want to do it again <laughs> ever ever especially like it's not just a one-time thing it's every two weeks like what yeah. in the world? i yeah. do appreciate that she's like i'm gonna take this seriously and if you're not taking it seriously and you're not willing to do some basic tasks like send in a paper every now and then then you're not welcome yeah like at least she's keeping it pretty i don't know there's a lot of purists probably in that group yeah i feel like you probably have to really prove that you're committed to mm -hmm. the actual work rather than you just want a cool nickname. No offense, Em. That's okay. I know I dilly-dally. <laughs> I would like to dilly-dally and then also reap all of the benefits. So yeah. I understand why I would not probably be welcome. But I can respect what they're doing. I do too. I absolutely do too. But I'm not feeling like I want to write another paper. So you know what? I'll just respect it from afar. Mm -hmm. Dion's writing also influenced many pagan groups such as Wicca. And Dion Fortune herself is buried in the Glastonbury Cemetery, and her grave gets hundreds of visitors a year, which I think is really cool. People that's still nice. paying their respects all these years later, you know? Yeah. Now, that's the story of Dion Fortune and what a life she led. I do want to know if you can think of anyone maybe comparable in our generation whose life story could be on this same track. Maybe 100 years from now, we'll say wow, they really brought XYZ to the mainstream or changed how we thought of certain topics. Is there anybody you can think of? I know I'm putting you on the spot. I can only really think of that in terms of like politicians these days or like a tech person who's going to create something that changes the world. I can't really think of anything in terms of spirituality. 
maybe honestly, I know we're going to hate this Zach Bagans, but <laughs> we have said before, like, I know we give him a lot of guff, but that man, he runs the spiritual empire these days. I think like he, in terms of ghosts and spooky, ooky stuff, not like religion, he is the only one in the game and there's no competition for him. And he really does do as many facets of things as possible and has his hand and everything. And uh-huh. he's really made quite a empire for himself. So maybe. I totally agree. I mean, I think once like Lorraine Warren died, it was sort of like he. He took the mantle. And became the next yeah big wig in that space. I know he's not like, oh, he also like helped with a religion and is a staunch feminist and did all these things. I'm just trying to think in in the world of like rituals and the occult, who would I put? But Zach Bagans would be it. Maybe this is just a very narrow view, but I like to think psychic medium Tyler Henry maybe is uh, changing the course because I just watched his recent Netflix show and I was very impressed with how they produced it in a more of like a storytelling way about his life and how his gifts affect his family. And oh, wow. I just thought it was a very cool, you know, and him being queer too. It's like, it feels like a a new generation. <laughs> you know what I like about Tyler Henry as, as someone who's never met him? You can tell in his eyes, he's so nice. He's just a very gentle, genuine. He really just wants to help, I yeah. think. I hope yeah. I'm right. I get the vibe that he really just wants to be a helpful person. Yeah. So that's what I like to think. But, you know, that's also me having just watched the special a few days ago. So sure. I think he definitely deserves 100 years from now people talking about him. Yeah. But he also can connect from the other side. He can show up in 100 years and be like, remember me? Hey, I'm back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I should ask him if he talks to Buddha and Jesus. I have a feeling it's a no, but <laughs> certainly worth asking. We probably would have heard about that by now. Well, the fun thing that I like to also bring up at this point is what if Dion Fortune had a podcast? Imagine if she lived in a world where instead of writing during a paper ration, a monthly mm. newsletter actually could host a podcast. <laughs> think of the power. Think of the power. Also, if she's a writer, think of the blog era. Mm. Wow, that girl mm-hmm. would have had a Zanga like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> But also in podcasting world, she would have so many connections to work with. But I also feel like she would, I mean, she already found a way. Back then. Yeah, she found a way to dip her toe in everything back then. So I think she'd have like TV spots. She'd be making donations and collaborating with big organizations. And I think she would. be a powerhouse. Step aside, Zach Bagans. (laughs) Yeah, Zach would be shaking in his boots if if Dion was here. His combat boots, to be clear. Yeah. (laughs) And now this is something that kind of struck me at the start and stuck with me as we talked through these notes, which is nature versus nurture, because this is a spiritualist pioneer who had kind of a familiar childhood story to a lot of the other people we talk about. She was a lonesome child who spent more time with adults than kids. She felt maybe different or outcast because, for example, her mother thought she was a changeling. Mm -hmm. And so it makes you wonder, like, was it like a chicken and egg situation, do you think that that upbringing for her kind of started this ability to contact her past lives and start seeing things? Or do you think it's, you know, she was already innately born with that and that is kind of what made her this loner? I mean, I know this is kind of a cop-out answer, but I think maybe both. I think maybe she could have been more imaginative because she was more alone and with her thoughts and... Maybe she was able to come up with more creative theories about the world and no one was really around to, like, challenge her on that. Plus, her mom claimed to have power since before Dion was born. 
right? So right, true, yeah. Maybe she was encouraged to think those things about herself. But I think that would also then, like, full circle make her out to look somewhat like an outcast or odd mm-hmm. from social mm-hmm. circles. So I think maybe it all didn't start hot and it just kind of led to her being able to have these thoughts that made her seem weird. Yeah, I agree. It almost feels like her environment nurtured what was already mm-hmm. kind of there. Yes. I mean, if you're having past life memories at age four. And also you're being told a changeling, like which yeah. one, why would you believe one and not the other? Yeah, exactly. So it seems like maybe this was all kind of going to happen no matter what. And we don't have the full context. We know the basics of her parents, you know, mm-hmm. their careers and kind of what the dynamic was there. But that's about it. So for all we know, there was much more context that could shed light sure. on this part of her past. And like you said, Dion's mom also had these eclectic spiritual leanings and was a healer. So it makes you wonder how the mom's beliefs maybe played into her beliefs. And like you said, maybe she felt encouraged that she could trust Mm -hmm. these thoughts she was already having instead of rejecting them. Yeah. I feel like her psyche, it probably wasn't helpful. I mean, I guess it gave her, I'm trying to come up with a positive spin that at least it kept her from closing herself off to curiosity. That's true. I feel like in a lot of cases you hear about people saying as children, they believed X, Y, Z, they saw X, Y, Z, but they were told, no, it's all your imagination. It's not real. Maybe this was a different environment where she felt like she actually could trust her gut or trust her visions. It does make you wonder on the inverse, too, of if we weren't told not to believe in certain things, would we be more powerful or connected spiritually? Yeah. Like, does that close us off? That's a great point. Mm -hmm. Like when Leona tells me her dad was a fireman or whatever I said earlier, (laughs) I'll be like, cool. I'm going to write it all down. I'm going to pry like no one's business. I'll be like, what was his name? Tell me everything. You're going to get a sketch artist in to draw a picture. Yeah. (laughs) I would. If my kids started implying any sort of reincarnation, it would probably upset others how much I would be fine with it and maybe even enable it, try to figure out the whole story. Yeah. I'd believe in Atlantis in a heartbeat. I'd be like, sure. Okay. Yeah. You got it. Of course. (laughs) And then we have to think about the kind of darker side of it. I know you said you wanted to say something positive, too, but this idea that her mom thought she was a changeling and would tell her that. I can't imagine that was healthy for her psyche. Like, if you're being told you're not my real child Mm -hmm. and there's no way to fix it, it seems like that would be really damaging. I definitely think she probably had some, like, attachment problems of not being able to get close to someone. If I imagine if the one person who's supposed to, like, love you and take care of you is telling you the whole time you're not mine or we're not supposed to be together, you our replacement in some way. I mean, that's... For my real child, yeah. Yeah, it can't be good on your future relationships. Yeah, it seems like it would be uh, be damaging, but... Or your beliefs in yourself of like, oh, I'm, yourself I'm almost, not worthy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But listen, she took it, ran with it, and made waves, so... Powerhouse, like you said. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Information on today's episode came from The Life and Spiritual Sex Magic of Dion Fortune by Nancy Paulette, Esoteric Orders and Their Work by Dion Fortune, Dion Fortune and Her Inner Plane Contacts by John Selby, Encyclopedia.com, OccultWorld.com, and The Solitary Working by Georgia Von Ralt, and Atlas Obscura. 
Remember to follow Rituals on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. And you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. You can find me at The M. Schultz. And you can find me at Xteen Schiefer. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week. Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Research by Chelsea Wood. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Christine Schiefer and M. Schultz. Hi, it's Carter and Molly from Conspiracy Theories. This February, join us for two standout specials. First, celebrate Super Bowl Sunday with a two-parter on one of the most dominant and dubious teams in history, the New England Patriots. Then, a two-part Valentine's special on the mysterious murder of Charles Walton. Journey back with us nearly 80 years as we comb through the details and rumors surrounding his death, pitchfork, witchcraft, and all. Catch new episodes of Conspiracy Theories every Monday and Wednesday. Follow and listen for free only on Spotify.